Welcome to the Mordcast. This will be the first in a two-part series on the 2001 to 2003 Denver Nuggets and how they shaped the rest of the decade. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Moisee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, now's a good time to get yourself a bottle. Um, summer's a good time to drink wine in general. Um, more white wine during summer months. Uh, people tend to like the lighter stuff, but there is a red Zinfandel that they got there, which uh, I tried recently, and it's very good. Uh, it's a light lighter red wine. It's not as heavy as the Cabernets or Merlots or Malbecs or Syrahs. Um, so if you're into that sort of thing, uh, this, uh, the, uh, the Red Zen will be your way to go. And it's very, it's very good. Um, but of course they got the 2017 Cabernet, which is my favorite, but they got all bunch of different wines. Of course there's Pinot, there's, uh, as I mentioned before, Malbecs, they got some whites, they got some blends, you know, they just anything you would need to, uh, really satisfy your desire to have some wine. Uh, go to bfwdenver.com to book yourself a table. Uh, they got out, outdoor seating in the dairy blocks, very pretty. Um, but you know, you can also pick yourself up a bottle. Um, they also have options to pick up some swag too. So, uh, really anything that you need. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com to pick yourself up a bottle, book yourself a table, or, you know, just pick yourself up some swag. When you go in or you talk to him, tell him Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, Going to try something new. The, uh, the Nuggets have just completed Summer League. Bones Island uh, played really well in Summer League. Once again, don't take anything really to heart from Summer League. Um... It is in no way indicative of what is going to come. Uh, that is not the way Summer League works. Summer League is poor competition. You just want to see if your draft picks are competent. And um, the takeaway from the Summer League was that Bones Highland, at least uh, is that in, that in that sense, he's very competent. Again, playing against, like I said, pretty poor competition. Um, but that kind of led me to think about the example that any of you who has followed me on Denver Stiffs going back to 2009 or today through CSU Podcast, I've made the same point over and over again. And it's caused me to think about the the early 2000s era of the Denver Nuggets and how they kind of were formed uh, and how they got to the success. And some of this has to plays into my feelings on Summer League. So... Um, the first part of this will go on basically the end of the uh, Ascent Issel era and then move to the second podcast, which will come out on Thursday, uh, which will cover basically what happened in 2002 to 2003. Um, but we're going to start with basically going to go... Sp- I'm going to give you some prehistory of the of what was going on. And anyone listen to my uh, podcast on Ascent uh, and what happened with the movie Air Force One? Um, the events of that led to a actually a a pretty chaotic decision 
by uh, a, a Comset to sell off Ascent, which was the, the managing company of the Denver Nuggets. Due to the success of Air Force One, they figured it was time. Uh, uh, Comsat wanted, basically since the beginning of the time of their ownership in 1989, really wanted nothing to do with running a sports team. And they were basically arm-twisted into it by their former CEO, Robert Wessler. I will talk about that in a complicated and uh, future podcast. Um, there's, there's layers upon layers to that. But by 1997, after Air Force One came out, uh, Ascent shareholders uh, were making two decisions. Um, the ball got rolling big time to build the Pepsi Center. And uh, some of the seed money from Air Force One, which they made, a, are still making, through Beacon Entertainment, a bunch, a bunch of money from that movie. And uh, that did really, that money was the the kind of, it allowed them to sign Joe Sackick, as I said in that uh, podcast, but it also allowed them to f- decide to build Pepsi Center. Well, right, right as this was happening, Comsat decides to put a cent on the market, and they're sold basically to Liberty Media. Um, Liberty Media is owned by John Malone, who is a local Colorado resident. Um, just basically had his hands in all media aspects. Uh, John Malone was extremely, he was the 90s uh, conservative era uh, equivalent to, he was he was the guy who was co-alongside uh, Rupert Murdoch. They owned a whole bunch of things. Uh, but at the time, the, the uh, they did not want to own sports teams. And I will talk about the awful time that the Nuggets and Avalanche went through from 97 to 2000. Um, on a different podcast, but the result of which was a three-year hellacious period where the Nuggets were finally sold to uh, Stan Kroenke uh, in July of 2000. Um, And during that time, Dan Issel was the overseer of of a basically destroyed product. Uh, The the Nuggets were... uh, Bernie Bickerstaff had set the conditions for a just a, a terrible, terrible Nuggets product um, because Ascent was kind of hands-off and they were distracted by that. By the time Bernie Bickerstaff quit uh, in early, uh, I think it was early in the season of the 96-97 season, um, the conditions were laid to be just awful. And Alan Briscoe took over and Bristow uh, created the worst Nuggets team in history, and that caused the Nuggets to go desperately, uh, ascent to go desperately to Dan Issel and say, we need you to come back to restore, because everyone remembered the the 92 to 95 era that he was in, which everyone looked fondly on at that time. So it was two years later, uh, three years later, he comes back 1998, he's uh, February, he's the manager, and he proved not to be a good general manager. And by the time 2000 rolls along, he's a general manager and coach. Um, because, according to Issel, uh, one, Bill Laurie, uh, one of the titular, one of the owners that uh, bought the Nuggets during this time, the Nuggets had like three or four different owners that were eventually voided. Um, 
wanted him to coach, according to him. Um, so he's down there coaching, um, and also being the president slash general manager. Um, by 2000, uh, I think either it was made clear to Essel or Essel decided to give up the general manager spot, retain the team president title, and remain coach. And in 2000, uh, Kiki Vandeweghe comes on. And Kiki had his own ideas about what was going on. He had, obviously, he had uh, played with Essel, um on the Nuggets from 81 to 84 when he was traded. Um, this, that, this Nuggets team was in a really horrible, horrible state. Um, the best they could do was the 2000-2001 season where they were 40-42, and 42, um, which had, was their best record since 1995. That's how pathetic that was. Um, but there also that season featured a re- revolt from um, Nick Van Exel, um, led by Nick Van Exel, and a couple of Nuggets players. It wasn't the entire team, but it was a couple of Nuggets players um, that made national news because Issel had made some poor decisions after he was pretty angry at them after they went on an 0-4 road trip. So it was during this chaotic time that uh, prior to that season that Stan Kroenke bought the team. Um, and by this time... Kiki Vandeweghe is really uh, becoming, I think he was hired midway through that season. Issel gives up the team general manager title, uh, and Vandeweghe uh, comes in, and he had his own ideas, as I said. Kiki was, uh, uh, the best thing I could say about Kiki was Kiki liked players like Kiki. Kiki the general manager was very much uh, kind of like Issel with uh, Rafe LaFriends. Um, there's sometimes you just pick guys who are like you. And that's going to factor into the second part of this uh, podcast that I will go into at length then. But it was bad. And then during the fall, at the end, about 10 games left into the uh, uh, the 2000-2001 season, um, Antonio McDice hurts himself. Um, it was a knee injury, and they weren't entirely sure how bad it was. Um, if we're going to talk about how far medicine has advanced in the 20 years since this happened, um, it wasn't entirely sure. They knew that that he was he had hurt himself, but they they obviously weren't as I think there were some decisions made on on surgery and whatever it was um, by the time the 2001-2002 season rolls around he is starting again Uh, he is on the roster and 10 days into that season uh, 10 games excuse me get into that season uh, Antonio McDice blows out his patella and, it, and at that time, in 2000, 2001, it, that was a catastrophic injury. Absolutely catastrophic. Because patellers were, you know, it's, basically you blow out your kneecap is what you do. And he uh, was out, for the, needless to say, for the rest of the year. Um, it was a death blow to Issel's second tenure as a Denver Nugget. 
Um, the losses piled up and the frustrations grew and a very famous incident happens where he yells at a fan um, and it becomes national news. Uh, Issel basically suspends himself because he's, remember, it's Kiki Vandaway's boss <laughs> at this time. Issel suspends himself and then resigns. He was not fired. He resigned. Um, and this became uh, something that swirled around the Nuggets around then. So it, it was, it, I think he, it, this happened late in 2001. Kiki Vandaway is in the midst of trying to reform the team around. Isla had made some pretty bad decisions as general manager, um, including a, a, a large contract given out to Tariq Abdul-Wahad, and it was not something that should have been done. The draft picks were traded. Uh, Chauncey Billups had been acquired, then traded like a year later. Um, Ascent and uh, Donald Sturm and the various owners of the Nuggets couldn't agree on on money. Uh, it was one of those situations where if something's going to be sold... Um, <laughs> you can like have one uh, as little liability on your books as possible. So uh, there was just all this happening at the same time. So once Kroenke takes over, the the reparation of whatever damage was done. Now this speaks nothing to Issel's tenure as a coach the first time. You need to separate the two tenures because Issel's tenure as coach with Bernie Bakerstaff as general manager worked for about two years. And then the final season, the, 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 the differences of opinion exacerbated and things got worse in 94, 95, and then it led to Issel resigning in uh, January of 1995. That tenure needs to be separated from the second tenure because Issel's second tenure was, uh, by all accounts, a disaster for him and the Nuggets. Uh, there's probably, I would say there's multiple indications that Issel really never wanted to be coaching. Uh, he didn't consider himself a coach and, uh, his hair trigger temper would often get the best of him with a, with a generation of players that was changing. Um, the hard nose stuff didn't work and it certainly wasn't working by the time 2001, two comes around his fractious relationship of, by the way, that's, that was Issel's deal, getting Nick Van Exel in here, which is actually one of the better deals he, he ever pulled off, um, trading Darvin Ham and a draft pick for uh, – uh, and who else they trade? They also trade another player to um, the Lakers for Nick Van Exel. All this to say, by the time 2002 rolls around, the Nuggets – as they tank out the season, uh, I believe in about 2000, Chris Anderson, or 2001, to Chris Anderson uh, is brought over from what was then known as the D-League, becoming the first ever D-League player to make it in the NBA. Issel resigns in a, flame, in a giant self-immolating ball of flame, and I love Dan. Dan's a, Dan's a good guy. He tells a great thing. I mean, go back and listen to the interview I did with Dan uh, from about four or five years ago. You'll see, you'll see a guy just tells some great stories. Um, 
but coaching and managing a team was not for him. So he he's gone. The remaining Nuggets, including Van Exel, are uh, you know they're having they're having not the greatest year in the world. And in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about kind of how that 2001-2002 season ended up and how the Nuggets began to come out from under the giant rock that was covering them throughout the 90s. I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Everyone's favorite time of year is right around the corner. College football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. Um, College football is a big thing. It's a big deal. Uh, Not quite as big a deal in this area, as it is, say, in the South. But uh, obviously betting on this sort of thing kind of can change the equation a little, and uh, it's, it's re- it really does big, big, big money. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new pairs $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they are offering right now. Uh, I've got a bunch of friends who use DraftKings Sportsbook, as I said, and I think you'll enjoy it too. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $200 in free bets when you place a bet of $1 on any college football game. That's promo code MHS to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The 2001-2002 season, uh, for all intents and purposes, was a disaster. They went, ended up somehow winning 27 games. Which, considering the state of that team was was actually pretty good <laughs> as far as the win total goes. Uh, McDice was out. The, the McDice injury proved to be the death blow of many different things. And with Stan Kroenke aboard, uh, he did something unusual in that he allowed for um, Kiki Vandeweghe to really put his fingerprints all over that team. It was a collision of circumstances for Kroenke. The Stan, for those that don't know much about Stan, he's not a big fan of tanking. Um, but primarily because uh, it's just, it's a money loser. Uh, even if you have a low payroll, it is, it's just not conducive to good financial standing. Um, and it is, it's particularly in a city like Denver where, let's face it, um, they will go put seventy five thousand in the stands for a Broncos team that's five and eleven, but they are not going to do the same for a Nuggets team that is, uh, you know, got the worst record in basketball history, like they were in uh, two thousand. Uh, oh, excuse me, when was it? Nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight. So Vanderway begins moving out pieces, and. 
he begins to think about trading the star of this Nuggets team, which, by the way, we need to we need to point something out here. And I said this before on a podcast I did about Antonio McDice. McDice is um, uh, criminally underrated. Would probably thrive in basketball now. Um, he was. He was, people have compared him to, I've compared him to Amari Stoudemire, but he, people have also compared him to uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, he wasn't as bulky as Aldridge was, but he was also just athletic as hell. And the fact that the Nuggets were never really ran pick and roll with him is not the fault of Antonio McDice. Uh, but he did have a deadly turnaround jumper. He was athletic as hell. As I said, he could jump out of the gym. Um, there was a lot of things. If you look at, if you look at, um, Antonio McDyess and Lafonso Ellis, you will see two very similar players. Although Ellis was a little bulkier and could get probably, probably a little better with rebounding. Um, he, uh, but there's still, there's some similarities there, which is probably why I was so upset when the Nuggets, decided to draft McDice in 1995 because Fonz was my favorite player, but that's another story. Uh, they begin to formulate ideas to get to trade McDice and at the same time trade Van Exel. And in the next podcast, I will talk to you about the, the, the decision, the fateful decision the Denver Nuggets made um, in the offseason of 2002 to make these big deals, and and draft a 6'10 European guy that they thought was the best, the, the next Dirk Nowitzki. All right, thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast. I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye.